you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you'll boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was, so, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia, and to come back to you from Macedonia, and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted you to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And, as I, and I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice, for I felt sure of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so that you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Harry. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? We're good? All right, well, I'm going to break the order of the service as well. I'm going to give you a two-second meet and greet. Stand up, give someone a high five, say hello or good morning, turn around, sit back down, and then that's it. All right, there's your two seconds. You can continue your conversation 
or after the service. So uh, let's sit down. <laughs> I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then uh, we're going to continue in God's Word. I'm sorry to break your, your meet and greets so short, I know. But you can continue those conversations after. I'm going to pray, so join with me as we pray to our God. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are our God, that we can come together this morning as your people. Thank you that you speak to us, Lord, through your word, and that we can speak to you through prayer. Enlarge our view of you this morning. Deepen our love and our affection for you today, for our good and our joy, and for your glory. Amen. Let me tell you about a man called Hiro Onoda. He was a Japanese imperial soldier during World War II. And uh, Onoda was sent to uh, Labang Island in the Philippines in 1944, in December 1944. And he was sent there to impede the enemy attacks on the island. And uh, Onoda, he was under orders that no circumstance was he to take his own life or to surrender. Well, the following year, in February, Anoda and three of his men were the only men left standing. Everyone else had either surrendered or were killed. And Anoda was now the, the ranking officer in charge, and he ordered his men to, to go and, and flee to the hills and to live in the mountains. And Anoda, he continued uh, his campaign uh, with shootouts with the local police, and uh, carrying out guerrilla activities. And then one day, they received a leaflet. This leaflet that came down literally from the sky. And uh, Anoda, on the leaflet, it said that the war was over. Japan had surrendered. Anoda and his men, they, they didn't believe this leaflet. They just thought it was some sort of allied propaganda. So they, they, they refused to surrender. Well, despite numerous attempts of further leaflets that were dropped, and even uh, letters from their loved ones and photos from their loved ones, Anoda and his men refused to surrender. Well, over the following years, his men, they either did surrender or they were killed until all but Onodo was left. And in 1974, 30 years after the war had ended, 1974, there was a man called Narayo Suzuki who went traveling the world looking for three things. He wanted to find Onoda, he wanted to find a panda, and he wanted to find the, abo the abominable snowman. Those three things in that order. And he came to the Philippines, and he, after four days, he finds Anoda in the jungle by himself. He'd been by himself for years. But he still refused to surrender. You see, Anoda was waiting orders from his commanding officer, a guy called Yoshimi Tanaguchi. 
And now Taniguchi, he had long since retired from the military, but in, in, in 1974, he comes to the Philippines and he issues orders for Onoda to surrender. What an amazing story, right? This guy lives almost by himself for 30 years. Why did he do this for so long? It was because of a promise. A promise that all those years ago, Taniguchi said to Onodo that, that whatever happens will come back for you. Whatever happens will come back. This promise is what motivated Onodo to, to live all those years in the jungle. This is what convinced him never to surrender, for him to remain loyal to Taniguchi. Now, you might not have said a promise as significant as a no-do, but we make promises all the time, don't we? You know, maybe that's a promise that you made to your spouse on your wedding day, that you would love them for the rest of your life. Or maybe that was a promise to your housemate that you'd take the bins out on a Monday night. Or maybe that was a promise to your wife, just, just hypothetically here, that, that you made a promise to your wife that you would complete those photo books that you said you would do several years ago and she's been waiting for years and years for you to do it. Maybe. You see, we all make promises. And today we're going to look at this passage in, in 2 Corinthians and we're going to look at chapters 1 and 2 and, and continue our journey through the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to look at this theme of promises. And in particular, I've got two parts for us today. Part one, a fickle promise, and part two, a faithful promise. Let's look at part one, a fickle promise. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, you can follow on the screen as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. We'll just stop there for a second. Paul, he starts off this, this part of the text. He, he, he starts with what appears to be a defensive tone. He appeals to his own testimony and his own conscience. He boasts of his sincere and his honest manner in which he conducted himself or behaved before the Corinthians. You know, why, why this defensive tone? What sort of criticism is Paul receiving from the Corinthians? You see, the church, they're criticizing Paul for being fickle with a promise. And what was this promise? Let's look ahead at verse 15. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to, and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. In the book of Acts and at the end of 1 Corinthians, we can read about Paul's travel plans. And uh, his plans were to go from Ephesus to, to Macedonia, to Corinth, 
to Judea. But Paul, he makes this unexpected stop in Corinth, what he calls a painful visit, which we heard in the reading in chapter 2. And he decides that he's not going to return to Corinth. So the Corinthians, they accuse him of wavering in his plans, of being fickle with his plans. But really, who cares? Like, does it really matter? Aren't they just over-exaggerating? I mean, we make travel plans all the time, don't we? You know, I go to Melbourne about once a month, and uh, I travel on the V-Line. Does anyone else get the V-Line here? Yeah, a few people. I love the V-Line because, you know, you can get a seat on the V-Line, you can open up your laptop, and you can get a solid sort of hour's work done on the train both ways, but all of a sudden, sometimes the unexpected happens. And I shouldn't be surprised by this by now, but, you know, you're on the train, traveling back home, and then the train stops at Wyndham Vale Station, there's an announcement that says buses will replace trains to Geelong. Great. You know, another hour or so that's going to be added to your journey home. Thank you, PTV. You know, our plans, they they can change in an instant. So why does this matter so much to Paul and the Corinthians? You see, the church in Corinth, they're accusing Paul of being fickle with his plans. And if he's fickle with his plans, then so too must be the message he preached to them. So this matters. It matters a lot. It matters a lot. He responds to them after this and he says a resounding, no, I was not vacillating. I was not being fickle. I don't make plans according to the flesh. In fact, he had good reason for changing his plans. He says it's for their own good. Turn with me to verse 23. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. And skip ahead to chapter 2. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain... Who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? It seems the Corinthians, they they still hadn't resolved this issue behind the, the painful visit. So Paul, he writes a letter to them instead. You know, what good would it be for him to come to them only to cause more pain? So the question arises, what what is this painful visit that Paul is referring to? You know, ultimately, we we don't know. I mean, some suggest that it's the painful visit that that he speaks of in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, of this sexually immoral man who's in an incestuous relationship with his mother-in-law. We don't know. It could be someone else. But regardless, Paul, he urges them after this to to forgive that person. To forgive them. Verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. 
For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. It appears this person seems to be, un, uh, seems to be repentant. And Paul says that the, the, the grief, the, the guilt, the shame that they must be feeling from the churches is overwhelming. They've been punished enough. They should forgive them, comfort them, reaffirm their love for them. And if you don't, then, then be aware You're making a foothold for the devil. He can outwit you. He can feed on your your bitterness and your pain, and he can destroy the church and your relationships. And Paul's, you see, Paul's promise wasn't a fickle promise. He meant his yes, but in a moment he'll appeal to, to God's faithfulness. But before we look at that, I want to ask you a question. Are you fickle with your words? Are you fickle with your words? I know for us today, our, our culture is, is fashioning us to be fickle. You know, one of the greatest challenges that we are facing today is busyness in our culture. Busyness. You know, what's... A common response when you ask someone how, how they're doing, oh, I'm good, but busy. <laughs> Corrie Ten Boom, she once said that the devil won't make you sin, but he'll make you busy. He'll make you busy. Being busy isn't a sin, but it can destroy relationships. It can be a relationship killer. Sometimes we just need to be honest with ourselves and say no. And say no. To not be fickle with our words. And I'm preaching to myself here just as much as you. You know, this past month, uh, Lauren and I, we've been uh, taking on more than we can handle. You know, juggling my work, Lauren's work, school holidays, the kids at home, uh, writing a sermon, family visiting, you know, the list just sort of goes on. And the kids, they start to pick up on this, right? They, they know that we're busy. So what do they do? At nighttime, they come into our bed, they sleep next to us. Uh, we, have an, we have a restless sleep, so we wake up in the morning, we're feeling tired and grumpy, uh, we're short-tempered, so then we take it out on the kids and the cycle kind of just goes on. And my relationship with the Lord You can forget about that, right? When we're busy, something has got to give. Busyness can destroy relationships. I need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded of this. So let me ask you, Who or or what do you need to say no to this week? Who or what do you need to say no to this week? Maybe it's saying no to another night out so that you can spend time with your family. 
Or maybe it's saying no to to watching TV so you can wake up in the morning feeling refreshed and, and spending time in God's Word in prayer. Or maybe it's saying no to that extra shift at work so that you can enjoy your Sabbath, a joy-filled Sabbath with God's people. Who or what do you need to say no to this week so you can say yes to Jesus? Don't be fickle with your words. And if you do, then be warned. As the Apostle James, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. It's a harsh but but true statement. Don't let your, your words cause division in the church. Don't let busyness, let the devil creep in and take a foothold. Let's not be fickle with our words and cause pain to one another. And if we do, because it's bound to happen, right? Because sin. <laughs> so if we do, and when we do, then seek to forgive and comfort and love your brother or sister in Christ. Let's not be fickle with our words. Let's be men and women who are faithful with our words. And this leads to point two, part two, a faithful promise. Last year, we caught up with some friends for lunch. Uh, We had a great time. We were having good conversation and great food. And while we are doing that, the kids, they were playing video games. Now, my kids don't play video games all that often, uh, but they were hooked, and they loved it, and they were playing video games. My son, Levi, was six at the time. Uh, he was playing the game on the controller, looking at the screen, cheering himself on, thinking he was dominating, smashing everyone when he was just kind of bumping into a wall the whole time. Uh, but my, my daughter, Freya, she was three. She had a controller, and she was, she was having the, you know, the time of her life playing on this, this, this video game, but her controller wasn't even plugged in. <laughs> the kids were having fun, and on the way home, they asked us, they said, Dad, can we play video games tomorrow? I said, sure, I promise when we get up tomorrow morning, we can play video games. So at the crack of dawn, Levi comes rushing in, he wakes me up, and we, he says, Dad, Dad, you promised that we could play video games. So we got up, I pulled out my, my old Nintendo 64 and we opened it, open, uh, opened it up and, and played all these fun games and we had a ball. You see, I made a promise to my kids to play video games. And if I didn't keep that promise, you know, I wouldn't hear the end of it. Now, my promise might seem trivial, but we make promises like this all the time. And Paul here in Corinthians, he reminds us that God is a God who is faithful, and he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. Let's look at verse 20. Verse 20 in chapter 1. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Let that sink in for a second. I'll read that again. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Paul 
saying that every single promise in the Old Testament finds their yes in Jesus. God's promise to Noah that he would never destroy the world by flood again. God's promise to Abraham that he would be a father of, of many descendants. He would give him a land and be a blessing to all the nations. God's promise to, to Moses that he would rescue his people from slavery in Egypt and he would make them a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. God's promise to, to Rahab that we heard about the other week, that she would, her life would be spared if she, if she hid the spies. Or God's promise to, to David, King David, that a descendant of his would rule and reign on the throne over God's people. Or God's promise to Jeremiah, that after 70 years of exile, they would return to, to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Every single promise in the Old Testament, there's hundreds if not thousands of them find their yes in Jesus. Every single one. And what does this mean? What does it mean? You see that if we read the Old Testament without Jesus, it's like what one scholar says, it's like reading a mystery novel without the last chapter or the last chapter torn out. It remains a mystery. There's no hope. There's no resolve. But we have the final chapter. We have the final chapter. We know the end because God's promises find their yes in Jesus. But that's not all. Uh, there's more to that verse. I'll read it again. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. God invites us into His promises. That through Jesus we can say our amen to God. Now the word amen is a Hebrew word and it just means I agree, or it is true, or a strong yes. Yes. Reflecting on this verse, one theologian says that in Jesus, God says yes. He's amen to us through his promises. And in Christ, we say our yes, our amen back to God through prayer. God says yes through his promises in Christ. We can say yes to God through prayer. He invites us into his promises. We can encounter a relationship with God because of Jesus. And then he highlights four things in the, in the, the next couple of verses uh, that he promises to do. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God's promises, they extend beyond Paul and the Corinthians to you and me today. He says that he will establish us. 
He'll anoint us. He'll seal us and he'll give us a guarantee. What do each of these mean? Let's look at them. God establishes us. He, he strengthens us. He, he gets a firm foundation for us to keep us strong. God anoints us. He commissions us. As if a king or a priest, he commissions us for a special mission. And then God seals us like a, a wax stamp on, a, on an envelope. It's his sign of authenticity that we belong to God. And then he gives us a guarantee. The Holy Spirit, he puts in our hearts as if a deposit or a down payment for our eternal inheritance with him. You are God's. You belong to God. You can be part of his family. You will receive his eternal inheritance. We need to remember this. And remember the context in which Paul writes. He's writing amidst pain and suffering. And amidst that, we can find comfort in God. Amidst that, we can be reminded of God's promises and our identity. This ought to give the Corinthians and us today great confidence and hope in God. That he isn't fickle with his plans and his promises, he's faithful. He's faithful. And if you are a Christian here today, then be reminded of that. Be encouraged by that, that God establishes you, God anoints you, he seals you, and he, he gives the, the Holy Spirit to you as a guarantee. And if you're not yet a Christian, if you're not yet a Christian, then know that these promises can extend to you. If you put your faith in Jesus, that through his death and his resurrection, that you can receive his promises, you can find comfort in him, you can find joy in him, you can find meaning and purpose in this life because of Jesus. If you put your faith in him, then be welcomed into his family because you can belong to God. You can receive an eternal inheritance in God. So turn to him and say your yes and your amen to Jesus. As the band comes up, we're going to sing in a moment. Uh, but before we do, I want to share a story about my friend Ben. Uh, ben, he was my youth pastor uh, growing up and my Bible study leader throughout high school. And uh, he had this sort of perfect balance of, you know, just being one of the boys, but also being our leader as well. <laughs> He'd have some fun and some jokes and, and muck around with us, but then he had this gift to always kind of center us back on the gospel. Well, the year after uh, I finished school, uh, Ben uh, and his wife, they had a baby. And uh, it was a, a beautiful moment because they'd been trying for some time and it was such a joyful and special uh, season for them. Around the same time, Ben uh, had some tests done because he had some health complications and he was diagnosed with cancer. And he had to get a bone marrow transplant. And uh, praise God, they found a, a donor pretty quickly and uh, Ben 
uh, went to surgery and uh, they did this transplant. But over the, the coming weeks and months, his health just continued to deteriorate. And his body was rejecting the marrow. And Ben, he, he passed away. He passed away, leaving his, his wife and his kid, his baby behind. I always admired Ben's faith. <laughs> he was a man of integrity, a man who knew of God's promises. And this is what kept him going through the pain and the suffering. He knew that God is faithful and that one day he would put an end to his pain and his suffering. He could receive that internal inheritance in Jesus because he knew that God is faithful. Paul, he reminds us of God's promises. They find their yes in Jesus. And one day he'll return and all of his promises will be complete. He won't let us wander around in the jungle for 30 years because God is faithful. And until that day, he promises to, to establish us, to anoint us, to, to seal us, and to give us the Holy Spirit. So will you trust in God's promises? Will you be men and women who remain faithful to God because he's faithful to you? Let's turn to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who is faithful. You're a God who keeps his promises. Your promise to strengthen us, to anoint us, Lord, as your special people, to seal us, and to give us the Holy Spirit. We thank you. May we be men and women who are faithful to you, who are not fickle with our words. And say our yes to you for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.